Good, well do please uh, keep your Bible open at page 761 and uh, try and juggle, if you will, the bulletin and on the inside of the bulletin you will find an outline of where we're going in the next few minutes. Um, But as always, let's ask for God's help as we begin. Heavenly Father, as a new year dawns, we desperately need a touch from you and your word alone can provide it. So please, Lord, draw near to us uh, as we draw near to you. What we know not, will you teach us? What we have not, will you give us? And what we are not, will you make us? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I suppose this is one of the best-loved passages in the New Testament. Um, It's captured the imagination of scores of artists, and uh, it's been the inspiration for countless worship songs. Uh, Meekness and Majesty, uh, Rock of Ages, uh, Brother, Let Me Be Your Servant, they were all inspired by this marvellous text. But what does it really mean? Well, to find out, we need to begin this morning with a puzzle. Uh, The puzzle is that at this point in the account of the life of Jesus, John has left two significant gaps, two events that the other Gospel writers thought were really important. First gap, there is no record in John's Gospel of what Jesus said is going to happen at the end of human history. Matthew, Mark and Luke each devote an entire chapter to the subject. John leaves it out. Why? Well, the general consensus is that John left it out because he covers all of that ground and a great deal more in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. So that, I think, is a satisfactory answer. But what about the second gap? Well, there is no record in the Gospel of John of the institution of the Lord's Supper. Now that, I think, is a much bigger puzzle because the other Gospel writers make it the centrepiece of their account of the night before Jesus died. They tell us that Jesus instructed his disciples to celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly because it's such a vivid reminder of the meaning of the cross. John leaves it out. Instead, he gives us this record of of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And it's unique to John. The other Gospel writers don't mention it. Now, I suppose the question that we need to ask is, well, you know, are these two facts connected No Last Supper, but instead John's unique account of the foot washing. Is there a link? And of course there is. Because they're both teaching us something about the cross. In this passage, Jesus is teaching his disciples how the cross reveals the full extent of of his love. That's our theme this morning. And John says that, doesn't he, at the end of verse 1. The imagery, I think, is fairly obvious. The disciples' feet are a metaphor for human sin. 
And the washing is an illustration of forgiveness. And if that's correct, well then the question is, what is Jesus teaching us here about his love? He says it's the full extent of his love. Well, what are we meant to learn? Four lessons, I think. The first is that Jesus washes us at great cost to himself. Uh, In India, um, there's a statue outside one of the theological seminaries. Uh, It's the statue of a very tall and dignified figure. And at the base of the statue, there is a a menial slave cleaning the the important man's feet. Now, uh, with, of course, the caste system in India, a slave is the lowest of the low. Uh, They're commonly referred to as untouchable. But when you get close to the statue and you read the inscription, you discover that the sculptor has played a trick on you. Because the inscription reads, Jesus washes Peter's feet. You see, the glorious one, the truly dignified one, isn't who you thought it was. Now, that fits the shock of our passage this morning perfectly. Just look at the contrast that John puts before us. In verse 3, he tells us, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. In other words, Jesus, at this point, is the most powerful person in the whole universe. The Father has put all things under his power. Verse 3. Now that, of course, leaves us totally unprepared for what follows in verse 4. Verse 4. Jesus, the most powerful person in the universe, got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So here you see we have the most powerful figure in the universe dressing as a slave and doing something that only a slave would do. Now, because uh, foot washing doesn't ordinarily happen in our culture, it is important for us to realise what a disgusting job it was. Uh, In those days, uh, people wore sandals, and most of the roads were simply dirt tracks. And because people in those days moved about on donkeys, uh, or camels, or on horses, With no city councils to keep them clean, the roads were literally covered with animal excrement. So, when you went round to somebody's house for dinner, even if you'd had a bath before you left home, by the time you arrived, your feet would be in the most disgusting shape. So, as soon as you arrived at your friend's house and rang the doorbell, a a slave would be instructed to come and clean all of the muck off your feet before you went inside. It was a thoroughly disgusting and degrading job. In fact, it was so degrading 
that many Jewish slaves flatly refused to do it. And so here you see uh, Jesus is showing the disciples in an image that they could instantly understand what it cost him to make us right with God. What did it cost him? Well, my dear friends, it cost him his dignity. You see, he had to take off not just his outer clothing, but the glory that he had with God the Father before the foundation of the world and become a servant and do something that everybody else would naturally shrink from doing. But he did it for us, and he did it willingly. Now, I don't know about you, but when I I read these words, I am amazed, because it says that the love of Jesus for me is unconditional. He offers me the full extent of his love, just as I am, with all of my awful faults. He couldn't possibly love me more. Now let me ask you, is that your experience? Do you know, deep in your heart, that Jesus loves you just the way you are? That he knew exactly what you would be like, and yet he was willing to be humbled and utterly degraded to make you right with God. That is the scandal of the Christian gospel. Let me show you just how scandalous it is. Won't you please keep a finger in John 13 and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 on page 808. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, page 808. We're going to pick it up from verse 9 and read what I think are probably the most scandalous verses in the whole of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, page 808, and I'm going to read from verse 9. Paul says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Pause on that. Because I think when we get there, most of us think, well, okay, that rules me out. But look at what Paul says next, verse 11. And that is what some of you were. Now, he's, he's talking to a church. He's talking to Christians. This is what they were like. But how did they become Christians? Middle of verse 11. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, my dear friends, can you see that the barrier to getting washed is not with Jesus? Jesus 
will wash anybody. He'll wash you if you've never asked him to do it. No, the barrier to getting washed is entirely with man. Man won't have it. Now, why not? Well, I wonder how many people fail to get washed by Jesus because they're actually looking for a saviour who is more impressive by worldly standards. They simply don't see Jesus because, uh, like the figure in that statue, he is too close and he is too low. He's too humble. And because they want a more dignified and impressive saviour, they completely miss out on the love that Jesus wants to give them. Well, come back to John. Uh, Jesus washes us at great cost to himself. The second lesson that we're taught here is that Jesus washes us in order to include us. Now, Peter, I think, is one of the great characters in the Bible. Um, It seems, doesn't it, as if he did most of his thinking out loud. Um, Jesus has just washed some of the disciples, and now it's Peter's turn. But uh, instead of embracing the idea, just look at verse 8. Can you see verse 8? No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. In fact, the original there is even more emphatic. Uh, It says, you, my feet, never. Now, uh, isn't Peter rather like many of us at that point? We actually don't want Jesus that close. By nature, all of us would rather clean ourselves up than allow Jesus to see those parts of our lives that we don't want anybody else to know about. So what Jesus says to Peter is really important for all of us. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, if we want to belong to Jesus we must allow him to wash us to make us clean. It's the only way in. There isn't another one. You can't be a Christian without it. Now, everybody has skeletons in the cupboard. Things in their past that they'd really rather not think about. For some of us, I guess those skeletons aren't quite as dead as we would like them to be. They're still uh, hanging around, uh, dragging us down in our moments of weakness. But Jesus Christ can overcome them. Jesus never, never says, clean yourself up and then I'm going to accept you. No, he says, come just as you are and I will wash you and make you clean. But that, of course, raises a really important question, doesn't it? What does it actually mean to be washed by Jesus? I mean, is this a kind of physical washing, having a shower, having a bath? Uh, Is Jesus talking about baptism, perhaps? How actually does Jesus make us 
clean. This is the most important thing I'm going to say today, so if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Turn on a couple of pages, please, to chapter 15 and verse 3. John chapter 15, verse 3, page 762. Now, outside of chapter 13, this is the only place where John uses the word clean. And if we're careful Bible readers, that's telling us straight away this is an important clue. Chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus says to his disciples, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, is that not striking? Jesus makes people clean with his word. What word is that? Well, in the Gospel of John, Jesus' word is three things. First, it's the word about who Jesus is. By his miracles, Jesus proves conclusively that he is God in the flesh. Second, it's the word about who you and I are by nature. In his teaching, Jesus has said that I am dead because of sin and that without a miracle there is no hope for me beyond the grave. Third, it is the word about what God has done about that. Uh, On Christmas Day we looked at what I think is the most famous verse in the whole of the Bible, John chapter 3 verse 16, and you know it well. Jesus says in that verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus says that if I want to be clean in the sight of God, I must hear the word of Jesus. I must accept it and I must respond to it. The response is the most important part. You see, all love requires, demands a sincere response. So think about this with me, uh, particularly you married men. Uh, Cast your mind back to the time when you were dating. Uh, Perhaps you went out with your intended for a meal together and uh, when the time was right, you, you gazed soft focus into her eyes and you said, I love you. Now, imagine how you would have felt if at that point she had said, well, that really is very interesting. Um, let me make a note of that. H- how would you have felt at that point? You would have felt totally humiliated, totally crushed. Now, friends, the love of Jesus is a million times deeper and a million times more pure than any human love. And yet, how many of us respond to the love of Jesus by saying, well, that really is jolly interesting. Um, I'll make a note of that. You see, not only is that a totally absurd response, 
But when we say that, what we're really saying is that we don't want to be clean. That we're quite happy to stay dirty, thank you very much. John has uh, a reputation for using symbolic language. Um, He uses words and phrases that contain layers of meaning. And he does that quite deliberately because he wants us to think. So when he says that the people who belong to Jesus have been made clean, he means they've been forgiven. That is the first and the most important meaning. But when you think for a moment about what it might feel like to be clean, let me ask you, what are some of the other ideas that come into your mind? Perhaps you might feel happy, restored, safe from infection, fit to be seen in public, cared for. Now friends, those are all totally legitimate ways of describing Christian experience. And what about becoming one of his own? Well, of course, to be one of his own means to become part of his family. And what might that feel like? Well, it feels like Jesus wants me, uh, that he he knows me, that he includes me, that, that he gathers me together with everybody else that he wants to have in his family. Now, at the start of a new year, isn't that what you want? Don't you want to be loved like that? You can have it today. You can have it this morning if you'll only come to Jesus and let him wash away your sin. Just one quick word of clarification here. Jesus is not instituting a lasting ordinance in John chapter 13. If you uh, pick up a prayer book and look through it, you won't find any procedures anywhere for foot washing as part of a normal service. Why not? Why not? Some churches do it. Why, Why not? Well, notice, will you, that Judas is amongst those who has his feet washed. But in verses 10 and 11, Jesus says that Judas is not clean. In other words, the issue is not whether you've been washed physically, but whether you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and whether you've asked him to wash away your sin. So friends, John 13 and baptism are both about becoming really clean on the inside by trusting in the death of Jesus. That is how Jesus includes us. But there's more because the the third thing that we're being taught here is that Jesus washes us completely and repeatedly. Now when Peter uh, understands that he must be washed by Jesus, uh, once again Peter responds in his usual over-the-top fashion, verse 9, Then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And the way that Jesus responds to Peter here is absolutely fascinating. Verse 10, Jesus says, A person who's had a bath 
needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean. Now there's a great deal more in the words of Jesus there than meets the eye. Because when Jesus says that, he knows that within the space of only a few hours, Peter will have denied Jesus, not just once, but three times. In fact, right at the very end of this chapter, the last verse of the chapter, verse 38, Jesus tells Peter that is precisely what Peter's going to do. Of course, uh, Jesus is God. He knows about these things. But even though Jesus knows that Peter's going to let him down in this spectacular way, Jesus can still say to him that he is clean. Now, isn't that striking? It means that even in the moment when Peter does something that he's going to regret for the rest of his life, he will still be right with God. It means, you see, that his greatest sin cannot undo what Jesus does for him on the cross. Now, friends, that's a massive reassurance, isn't it? You know, that I think we all know, don't we, that you and I are unsteady creatures at the best of times. And if all Jesus does is give me kind of an entrance permit into the presence of God, and from that moment on it's down to me and my performance, well, I know I'm not going to last five minutes. But Jesus says to Peter the sinner, as he says to all believers, you are completely clean. If you've been washed by me, you can stand before Almighty God and nothing that you ever do in the future can change that. What does that mean for us here this morning? Well, even though he died more than 100 years ago, Bishop uh, J.C. Ryle, the former uh, Bishop of Liverpool, is often, I think, closer to the mark than many contemporary commentators and scholars. Listen to his comment on the significance of the words of Jesus to Peter. Quote, Let no man be afraid of beginning with Christ if he desires to be saved. The chief of sinners may come to him with boldness and trust him for pardon with confidence. This loving saviour is one who delights to receive sinners. Let no man be afraid of going on with Christ after he has once come to him and believed. Let him not imagine that Christ will cast him off because of failures and dismiss him into his former hopelessness on account of infirmities. Jesus will never reject any servant because of feeble service and weak performance. Though those whom he receives, he always keeps. Those whom he loves at first, he loves at last. His promise shall never be broken, and it is for saints as well as for sinners. End quote. So when Jesus washes us, he washes us perfectly and permanently. But of course, because we're sent out to 
serve in a dirty world, it is, of course, inevitable that we will pick up muck and grime every day. That is part and parcel of the normal Christian life. And sadly, that means you and I will continue to sin. But that does not affect our eternal destiny in any way whatsoever. It is a reality, and it does affect the quality of our relationship with God and with one another. And for that reason, we need to come to the Lord Jesus every day, uh, tell him what we've done, and ask him to deal with it. And the point is, you see, that Jesus loves us enough to wash our feet, not just once, but repeatedly. And that brings us to the fourth and maybe the most important lesson in the passage, which is what the love of Jesus means for us. Fix your eyes on verse 14, will you? Everyone see verse 14 in our Bibles? Jesus says to his disciples, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In other words, can you see, all those who have been washed by Jesus are to follow his example. Now, as we've seen, this is not a call for us to engage in regular foot-washing ceremonies. I wouldn't wish it on you to wash my feet, and I'm sure you wouldn't want me to wash yours. Nor is it kind of a general exhortation to helpfulness and good neighbourliness with other people, marvellous though that is, of course. But in this context, Jesus is talking about us bringing other people to him, to his word, so that they can be cleaned. Cleaned by his word. And if we're following Jesus' example, it means putting our reputation on the line to do it. And when we do, we're not doing any more than Jesus did for us. It might be reaching out to a Christian brother who has wandered off course and bringing them back Uh, or it might be bringing an unbeliever to church so that Jesus can wash them with his word. Now in each case of course we risk rejection, we risk ridicule and those are not easy things for us to face because our pride gets in the way every time, doesn't it? So where are we going to find the courage to do this? Well, the best answer that I've been able to find comes from the pen of the Apostle Paul. And as we close, I'd like you to turn with me, please, to Philippians 2 on page 831. Philippians chapter 2, page 831. I can't prove it, but I think it is highly likely that when the Apostle Paul wrote these words, that he had John chapter 13 in his mind. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He writes this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now as we launch out into a new year, I want to challenge you to memorise these verses. And uh, as you do so, I want, um, I want you to embrace what the Apostle Paul is asking of us. Three things, I think. First, he's asking us to look back. You see, we need to look back and remember what it cost Jesus to put us right with God. That's the first thing Paul's asking us to do. Second, he's asking us to look around. He says that we are to cultivate the same attitude as Jesus of complete humility towards other people. And thirdly, he's asking us to look ahead. He says we are to contemplate our future, secure in the knowledge that God has exalted Jesus to the highest place and for that reason he will raise us up to be with him, provided our feet have been washed. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us so clearly what Jesus accomplished for all believers on the cross. As we reflect on the last year, we know there is so much in our own lives of which to be ashamed. But we're amazed that you knew what we would do before we did it, what we would think before we thought it, and yet you have made us perfectly and permanently clean. You've given us this wonderful assurance that in spite of everything, we can stand before God unashamed and unafraid. And so as we go into 2018, help us to follow Jesus' example. 
Help us to reach out to those around us who know nothing of these things and give us the courage to bring them to Jesus to be washed. And if sometimes we find ourselves rejected and ridiculed, help us to remember that you willingly laid aside your dignity and faced the worst humiliation imaginable in order to wash us and give us a sure and certain place in your eternal family. And all these things we ask for Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen.